Hey folks, Andy Patton here. The Zags are going to play in the WCC Championship for the 25th consecutive season after defeating the San Francisco Dons on Monday evening. We're going to discuss what went, what went right and what went wrong against San Francisco while taking a look at how the game between St. Mary's and Santa Clara went and previewing the title bout, a rematch between Gonzaga and St. Mary's happening Tuesday evening, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by Run Your Pool. March Madness is here, and Run Your Pool has a better way to create your bracket. RunYourPool.com, the premier sports pool hosting service. I also want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day, and those of you who have checked out the show on YouTube. If you have not done so yet, just go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button. We are getting closer and closer to our goal of 500 subscribers on that channel before the end of the NCAA season. Less than a month away until that happens, so get yourself to that YouTube channel if you have not done it yet already. So the Zags are headed back to the WCC Championship game. They secured themselves a double-digit victory over the San Francisco Dons, which is the most positive way we can spin this victory. For those of you who watched the game, you know that it was a a game for about 34, 35 minutes that was pretty well in hand for the Zags. They kind of handled a lot of San Francisco's runs. They had an outstanding performance from their big men. Andrew Nembhard, fantastic game from him. But really the story of the game unfortunately happened in the final four minutes or so where a strong full court press from Todd Golden's defense really flummoxed the Zags. We saw them make a lot of careless mistakes. They seemed to get a little bit flippant with the basketball, whether they were looking ahead to Tuesday's game, whether they were really surprised by something San Francisco was doing, whether it was some coaching mistakes, some kind of combination of all of those three things. We're going to talk a lot more about those final four minutes, what it meant for the Zags at the time, what it means for them on Tuesday against St. Mary's, and of course, what it could mean for them in the NCAA tournament. However, you guys know me. You've listened to the show before. For those of you who have, I'm a pretty positive person. I like to focus on the positive, so we're going to do that first, and I think where is a disservice to this team and this tournament and even San Francisco to not acknowledge that Gonzaga played really, really good for a huge chunk of this game. They played fantastic basketball for 34, 35 minutes. In particular, Gonzaga's big men, not just the starters, Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren, as well as Anton Watson, all three of them had fantastic performances. A huge part of that was the absence of Yuhen Masalski. San Francisco's big man, he was out in this game. He did not play because of an injury. That had a very, very big impact on this game. Masalski is a good defensive player. Now, Chet and Drew have had good games against San Francisco both times that these two teams met in the regular season. So it's not, it wasn't crazy that they also had good games here. But I think it was clear the impact of him not being on the floor, especially early in this game. The Zags jumped out. 
to an early lead. It was 9-0 before the game even turned over to ESPN after the game before it went a little bit long. It was 20-5 at one point. Chet Holmgren finished this game with 17 points, 8 rebounds, 6 block shots, 3 steals, and 1 assist. He did all that on 7-10 of 10 shooting. He hit a three-pointer from the top of the key, which we're accustomed to seeing him do. The six block shots were the highest he's had in a very long time. 17 points right in line with what he's been doing throughout the season. For him to get 17 points on 10 shots is phenomenal. He had a spin move in the lane and a two-hand dunk. He threw down alley-oops. It was a vintage classic Chet Holmgren performance, the kind of performance we've become so accustomed to seeing him do. Yes, he was able to do it against a USF team that was missing their best player uh, in the front court, but still a remarkable performance from him. Drew Timmy, likewise, was outstanding in this one. Drew has been a, a topic of conversation for Gonzaga fans lately because he's been a bit up and down with his performances. We've seen some very good games from him recently. We've seen some games where he's really struggled. Obviously, both Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren struggled significantly against St. Mary's in the regular season finale. That's why it was so fantastic to see both of them really rebound and have strong performances here against San Francisco. For me, it was especially noticeable that Drew Timmy did because he also has struggled against the Dons a little bit earlier this year. The first half of the first game against San Francisco this season, Drew Timmy was was very bad. He had a very bad half. I believe he was one for eight in that first half in that game. He ended up finishing with 23 points in that game and finished with 20 points the last time these two played and finished with 22 points in this game. So he's been pretty consistent. He's still getting his points. 22 points here, four rebounds and four assists. Nine for 13 from the field. For Drew in this one, super efficient, really nice night from him down low, took some drives to the basket, had a couple turnovers. We've kind of seen that from him a few times, but all in all, 22 points, four rebounds, four assists on 13 field goal attempts is a fantastic night for him. Beyond that, I think it was huge how how important for Anton Watson to have a big game for this team. Watson had eight points, 10 rebounds, three assists, a block, and a steal coming off the bench. You'll remember, because I hammered this home a handful of times in the most recent episodes, Gonzaga's bench combined for 10 points in the three games heading into this game. Hunter Salas had seven of those points against Santa Clara. That was it. Anton Watson's offense had vanished was completely gone. He was still playing good defense. He was still giving the Zags adequate minutes as a backup big man. But his offense, that aggression that we saw from him early in the year, he was looking for his own shots. He was going to the rim. He was hunting for offensive rebounds. That player just wasn't there for the last few weeks of the regular season. We knew that he needed to come back. We need that player to be on this roster in March. Gonzaga cannot win with five players. I know that they don't play their bench a lot, but they cannot win with just five players. Anton Watson is a critical piece of what this team is going to be heading into March, and he proved why in this game. Yes, again, without Masalski, that did help make it a little bit easier for Watson to do damage down low. But eight points, ten rebounds, three assists is still a great, well-rounded game. He was four of seven from the field. Again, just like the rest of Gonzaga's bigs, hyper-efficient shooting game around the rim. He did have four turnovers. This has been a problem for him and really for Gonzaga's bigs in general. That is something they need to clean up. We'll talk a little bit more about some of this team's 
challenges that they had in this game, notably at the end of the game in the second segment. But I did want to point out that Watson was not perfect in this game. None of these three guys were perfect necessarily, but they all had really good, efficient scoring games. And that ultimately is what led to Gonzaga getting the victory. Beyond that, Andrew Nembhard was phenomenal in this game. Absolutely extraordinary. 17 points, nine assists. I kept waiting for him to get that one final assist to get him back up over that double-double mark. I looked for a long time. I had a tweet drafted that I unfortunately was not able to send. I thought Nembhard was going to get a double-double without a turnover. That is a remarkable achievement for a point guard against a team like San Francisco that is good defensively, that has high-level guards like Khalil Shabazz and Jamari Bouye. Unfortunately, Nembhard did not quite get that final assist, and he did have one turnover towards the end of the game. It was his only turnover of the game. It was a pretty significant one. He dribbled the ball off his foot in those waning seconds when 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 excuse me when San Francisco was coming coming back. It was an unfortunate turnover for him to have. Still a phenomenal game from him. Eight for twelve from the field, one for two from three. He had a clutch three in the second half that they really needed from him. And then Rasir Bolton was excellent. Excellent in this game as well. He led the Zags in plus minus. I'm guessing a lot of people would not have thought that Bolton was this team's leader in plus might plus minus. I would have guessed Chet Holmgren. He was second. He was plus 15. Bolton was plus 16. Very close between the two of them. Bolton only had 10 points, but he played great defense. And that was a huge part of this game. Misalski not playing was, was obviously a big piece. But Jamari Bouye really struggled. This is one of the best guards in the conference. One of the best guards in the NCAA, certainly on the West Coast. Bouye had five points. He shot one for 11. 0 for 7 from 3. He really struggled. Some of it was just he had an off night, an off night at a time when San Francisco could not afford for him to have an off night. But a lot of it was Rasir Bolton right in his face, playing outstanding defense. Uh, Shout out Hunter Salas, who played outstanding defense as well. Salas got into the game early. I think he came in about four or five minutes into the game, which is very unusual. That's kind of breaking the routine that Mark Few has had. I thought it was well-deserved. For Salas, he's been Gonzaga's best reserver in the last couple of weeks. He's also a very good defensive player. And when you're playing high-level offensive guards like Shabazz, like Bouye, it makes sense to bring in your best defensive guard early in the game. Let him get some reps guarding those elite, talented players. Salas had a great game off the bench. Bolton led the team in plus-minus with 16. Bouye held to five points. Really, really nice performances there. Khalil Shabazz went off. For San Francisco, though, the ability for them to stay in this game with Bouye only scoring five points with Masalski not playing, you had to know that those points came from somewhere. That was the case. Khalil Shabazz, 27 points for San Francisco, most of them in the second half. And that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. We're going to talk about what happened in that second half, why the Zags went from a comfortable 20-point win to really sweating things out before finally securing a 10-point victory. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about today's sponsor, Stat Hero. Stat Hero's NCAA single game pickums pits the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. Take control back from those handicappers that always seem to have the advantage. Start focusing on the players you know best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. Stat Hero gives you the advantage, resulting in their gamers winning four times more often. Why? Because Stat Hero eliminates the mystery about who or what you are going up against. In addition to their pick'em games, they also have dozens of lineups you can comb through to take on head-to-head. They simply post sets of players for you to take on with a set of players you choose. 
Stat Hero is the easiest and fastest way to get your sport action fix. The simple, sleek gameplay will have you playing in minutes. This is what Daily Fantasy was meant to be. Sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash locked on. Use promo code locked on for 100% match. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still Locked On Zags. Thank you again for making Locked On Zags your first listen every day. Make sure to check out the Locked On Bracket Breakdown on March 14th right here on the Locked On Zags podcast feed and YouTube channel. College basketball expert Chris Gordy, myself, and betting expert Lee Sterling are there to give you an in-depth breakdown on every matchup in the NCAA tournament. All right, second segment, we're going to talk about the last five minutes of that Gonzaga-USF game. It was not the prettiest. I said that I'm an optimistic person. We got the optimism out of the way. The Zags had an outstanding game from their front court, beat a good San Francisco team. But this team is not perfect. They have their flaws. And we saw them in a significant way in the last few minutes of this game. A quick rundown on what happened for those who either did not watch the game live or just really like reliving horrible events (laughs) the way that these were. The Zags removed Chet Holmgren from this game at the 7.20 mark in the second half. They had, I believe, a 21 or 20-point lead right in that range. I remember because I thought, hey, that's probably the last time that we're going to see Chet Holmgren in this game. I was not expecting him to come back in the game unless... San Francisco made a run. I believe Sean Farnham on the broadcast made a reference to how San Francisco had made a lot of runs with Chad Holmgren out of the game, and if they were going to do it, now was the time to do so. That is exactly what happened. The Dons were more aggressive getting to the rim. Their outside shooting started to click a little bit. They got some more offensive rebounds. They cut the lead down to about 13 or so. And then Chet came back into the game at around the five, five and a half minute mark. It was a quick turnaround. He did not get to sit for very long. He comes back in right around that time is when Todd Golden started to put on the full court press. An aggressive full court press, defending the inbounds passer, defending everybody trying to get the ball, just going at it right away. And the Zags, and I think this is the key part, is a lot of people, their takeaway from this game was the Zags can't break a press. And in the very last few minutes of the game, they were struggling to break the press. But I think it's really important to note that the first three or four times that Saint, or excuse me, San Francisco put that press on the Zags, they broke it pretty easily. Most of the time, it was a cutting Julian Strother in the middle of the floor. They got him the ball. He turned. He dribbled across half court, and he was wide open. They broke it easily. But what happened after that, and I, this is, there's, there was some debate on whose decision this was. I assume that there was a coaching decision made to not go after shots at that point. There's only you know six, seven seconds had come off the shot clock. There's still 25 seconds left. The Zags were up by... 14, 15 or so at this point, there was no reason in Mark Few's mind to continue to try to score early in the shot clock. Kick it out, reset the offense, burn some clock, try to get a bucket that way. There is some criticism about this decision. Obviously, for those who watched the game, you can see how it played out very poorly. 
What it did is it allowed San Francisco to reset their half-court defense. At the time, when Strother had the ball on those possessions, he was open. They had a two-on-one or at least an ability to get to the rim with ease, and they were passing out of it, resetting, allowing the rest of San Francisco's defense to get back, get set up, get into their defensive sets. You could look at that and say that's that was a bad decision, and certainly in this game it did not work well. However, it's important to note that Gonzaga was scoring really easily in half-court offensive sets for the entire game up to this point. Gonzaga was shooting over 65% from the field. Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren, Anton Watson were, as we mentioned in the first segment, were having excellent games. I can understand why there was a belief that, hey, we'll get the ball across half court, we'll pass up an open look, we'll kick it out, we'll reset the offense, we'll burn 26, 27 seconds, and we'll get a good look because they had been doing that throughout the game. So I understand that decision in that moment. However, as soon as it didn't work, as soon as Gonzaga brought the ball out, reset the offense, failed to score, turned the ball over, and San Francisco started converting shots, and it became from a 17-point game to a 13-point game to an 11-point game. At that point, at that point, there needed to be more aggression. There needed to be a timeout. There needed to be a change in pace. There needed to be a way to figure out we need to we need to put the pedal back on the metal. We need to go after it again. We're not burning clock anymore. We need to start trying to score the basketball. And that flip didn't happen in time. And when the Zags started to do that, when they started to feel that pressure of, hey, we need to start converting, we need to start getting the ball in the hoop, this, it, it's go time, they got sped up, they got anxious, and then they started making mistakes. That's when you get Andrew Nembhard dribbling the ball off his foot at a really bad time. That's when you get passes that go over Chet Holmgren's head. That's when you start to see those mistakes start happening. And it was a, kind of a weird confluence of, of things that happened all at once where I think the, right around the time that Mark Few decided, hey, I don't want to start playing this passive offense anymore. I want to start putting the pedal to the metal was right when Gonzaga started to get flustered on offense. That's tough. That's tough. I, I, I Far from believing that Mark Few is blameless here. I don't want to come across like that's what I'm saying. He deserves some blame here. Frankly, they probably should have just taken the shots right away. <laughs> I understand why he thought hey, let's pull it out, let's run our half-court offense, we'll get buckets that way. I do get that thought process, but it was not the right decision in this moment. They should have, you take every basket that you can get against a team like San Francisco. I don't care that they were up 14. I don't care that there was four, three and a half minutes left. I know you can think, well, we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll burn 28 seconds, we'll get it under three minutes, we'll score. It, they shouldn't have done that. Julian Strother had open looks. He had two opportunities to go to the rim. At very least, he would have got fouled. He probably would have gotten and one or at least got a bucket out of it. And they didn't take those opportunities. That was a mistake. I wanted to explain why what I think was Mark Few's thought process there, if it was a decision that he was making on the sideline. But I, I understand why there was criticism about it as well. And obviously, you look at the results. Khalil Shabazz hit a really tough lay-in over Chet Holmgren. And this was a nine-point game. I believe at one point it was an eight-point game. This thing got, got a little it got a little scary. It was it was an unpleasant feeling. I don't remember any time that I have watched Gonzaga go to the WCC championship game. Every year that I've been a fan of this team, I don't remember them going to into a championship game with less enthusiasm than this. This is a 10-point victory against probably the best team that they have ever played in a WCC semifinal game. This San Francisco team is good. I don't remember the last time they played a team in this state who was for sure going to make the NCAA tournament. 
So that is another factor here. This is a really good team that Gonzaga played and beat by double digits. It's far from the worst thing that could have happened, but it is tough to see them struggle, especially because struggling against pressure from guards in the backcourt is something we've seen. This is a story we've seen before. This is what happened against Baylor. This is what happened against Duke in a lot of ways. This is what happened against Tarleton State, a game they did not lose, but a game that was not pretty by any stretch of the imagination. This issue that Gonzaga has is not necessarily over. Again, it's not like Andrew Nembhard turned the ball over a whole bunch of times or Ros Bolton or Strother or any of those guys. That's not really exactly what happened. There was a couple careless turnovers very end of the game and some sloppiness a little bit before that. But it's still concerning to see them struggle with this half-court press. Or excuse me, this full-court press. It's frustrating that this isn't an issue that they seem to have solved. And it's frustrating that Mark Few didn't feel the need to just put it, you know, just put the put the right on their throats at the end of the game and secure a victory. That's what should have happened here. That's what you need to do. You need to put away teams, especially good teams. Mark Few has a lot of respect for Todd Golden and what this team does. He's made that very clear. If you really respect this team and believe in their ability, you need to defeat them every chance you get. You cannot let up in any way at all. And that's what was tough to see. In the NCAA tournament, San Francisco is a good enough team to make the tournament, and they will. But Gonzaga's going to play a lot of teams better than them. And you cannot let these kinds of teams back into the game because you will lose. So that was frustrating to see. It's hard to not be a little bit down about this game, even though it was a victory, even though Gonzaga is going to do something unprecedented and play in the WCC championship game for the 25th consecutive year. Their opponent, St. Mary's Gales. Same St. Mary's team that beat them just a week ago in Moraga, beat them pretty good. It was a game that's still fresh in a lot of people's minds. We're going to talk about that game. We're going to talk about how St. Mary's came to be here in this game after defeating Santa Clara by just three points in a very exciting WCC semifinal game. We're going to talk about all of that in the third segment. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about today's sponsor, Run Your Pool. March Madness is less than one week away. That means you need to start thinking now about where you're going to be running your brackets this year. Are you going for the usual or are you going for the best? We've done our homework here and we're running brackets with runyourpool.com. Along with standard brackets, Run Your Pool offers game types like Survivor or Pick X. They have options to edit scoring, and they offer more intel to make your picks. All stuff you won't find at ESPN or CBS. If you've got a business, Run Your Pool can help you take some of that madness magic and play alongside your employees or even gain customers. Plus, they offer full customer support, custom branding, and one of the easiest three-minute setups you'll ever find. Clearly, we believe in Run Your Pool because, like I said, we're running our brackets there ourselves. There's no truer test than that. If you want to play against us for a shot at a cash prize, join us at runyourpool.com slash locked on. And while you're there, create your own pool for your friends and family. Enter Pure Madness at checkout for $10 off your custom pool. All the rules and details will be available there. That's runyourpool.com slash locked on for your chance to win a cash prize. We look forward to seeing you there. Today's episode is also brought to you by Bet Online. There might be less football being played, but betonline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, totals, and player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, 
and play your favorite games. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, switching gears here, talking about the other WCC game of the night after Gonzaga wrapped up their victory over San Francisco on Monday evening. The St. Mary's Gales took on the Santa Clara Broncos. It was an exciting game. It looked for most of the game for anybody who watched. It looked like St. Mary's was going to just run away with it. They were up 15, 16, 18, over 20 at a few points against Santa Clara, but Santa Clara chipped away. They had a good second half. St. Mary's started to miss some shots, struggled a little bit. Yusuf Vrankic came back in a major way, and this thing came right down to the wire. Jalen Williams threw up a shot from half court while getting fouled, a call that they did not make. Granted, it, I don't think it impacted the actual outcome of the game. Had they called a blocking foul on Logan Johnson, which is what it appears happened, Williams would have gone to the line with less than a second left with his team down three points. So I don't think that there was a necessarily a recipe for victory there for Santa Clara, but still outstanding game from them. So close for Santa Clara, a team that was just a victim of unfortunate circumstance throughout the season. This is very clearly the third best team in the WCC, very clearly a team that deserves to be playing basketball in March. Frankly, they're good enough to be a seven seed realistically, but they did not play well at the beginning of the season. They had injuries to Vrankic, injuries to PJ Pipes, lost a lot of games in the non-conference that they should not have lost. Now, there is virtually no chance they will make the NCAA tournament. They're the kind of team that could straight up win the NIT if they end up getting an invitation into that, but they fell here 75-72. to Jalen Williams had 15-6, and Yusuf Vrankic 21-8. and for Santa Clara, Keyshawn Justice, 21 points, hit four three-pointers in this one. Really nice game. But the star of the game, hands down, Tommy Cousy. Outstanding performance for St. Mary's. He was so good against Gonzaga in that final game in Moraga as well. He's a maestro in the pick and roll. He makes outstanding reads, gets to the rim with ease, kicks it out to shooters perfectly. 27 points in this one. 11 of 18 shooting, 3 for 3 from downtown. Folks, you may not remember this. Tommy Cousy was a bad three-point shooter. Sean Farnham and Dave Fleming talked about this a handful of times on the broadcast. Coaches used to always go round screens on him. They always dropped. They dropped every time. They let him shoot threes. Farnham wouldn't say which coach it was, but he said that there was a coach in the WCC that would drop both. The guy getting screened and the other defender, he would drop both of them, which allowed Tommy Cousy a lot of room to shoot because they were that confident in his lack of ability to shoot threes. He hits all three of his threes in this game, 27 points, 11 of 18 shooting, five boards, four assists, and a steal. A remarkable performance from Tommy Cousy. He was the reason that this team won this game. Matthias Toss, great game as well, 18.7 boards. Logan Johnson, 14 points as well, but he also had probably the biggest play of the game, a game-saving block on Jalen Williams. Williams pulled up from the free throw line. Logan Johnson stuffed it. They got the ball back. Significant play. Logan Johnson got fouled, hit the free throws. That made it a three-point game. Jalen Williams' half-court attempt fell short. Boom. That's your ball game right there. Really exciting finish. Uh, I know a lot of people who watch St. Mary's games find it hard to believe that I could use the word exciting to describe them, but 75-72 is a pretty normal college basketball score. This was not your 51-47 to score that you may have been accustomed to seeing from St. Mary's in the past. This was more of an offensive explosion for both of these teams. Uh, a nice, fun game. Unfortunately, it means the Zags get the Gales again, the rematch. Third time these two teams are meeting. They've met in this WCC championship game a lot 
over the last decade. Most of the time, this is the result that we get. And for good reason, these are two exceptional programs, of course. Mark Few, one of the most successful coaches in college basketball right now. So is Randy Bennett. Their team has been extraordinary. They got the best of the Zags in a major way the last time these two teams met up. Now, I can tell you with a lot of confidence that Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren are not going to struggle against St. Mary's nearly as much as they did last time these two teams met. It was a significant struggle for both of these players to get going offensively. I never thought I would see both those guys have as big of a problem against a team as they did last time out. I don't think we're going to see that again. Both these guys were phenomenal against the Dons. Again, without Masalski, still, they had great games combined for 40 points against San Francisco. They're going to be ready to go in this game. Mark Few has been anticipating this rematch since the last time they played. I guarantee you they watched a lot of film. They saw the things that they did wrong. Drew Timmy was forced in shots that weren't there. Andrew Nembhard was not his characteristic self. The defense got gashed by Tommy Cousy and the ability of him to get through the pick and roll. He's a crafty player, was finishing around the rim, kicking out shots or kicking out passes to outside shooters. They looked at this film. They've studied it. I think they're going to be a lot more ready to go. But Randy Bennett's going to be ready too. He knows what they did that was successful. He knows how to exploit those matchups and he knows how to make in-game adjustments. I'm excited for this game. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit nervous about this game. I really do think the Zags are going to come out and give give St. Mary some different looks. They're going to try some different things. They know that Randy Bennett's entire goal is to slow them down, make this game play at their pace. It's a lot easier to get slowed down than it is to force a team to play fast. This is why St. Mary's has had success against Gonzaga in the past. It's easier to slow down a fast team than it is to speed up a slow team. St. Mary's rarely gets sped up. Even in games when Gonzaga beats them. Even when Gonzaga beats them by 15, 18, 20 points, which we've seen a handful of time over the last couple of years. It's not usually because they got sped up. It's because they weren't very efficient with their scoring. And it was because Gonzaga robbed them of offensive rebound opportunities. If they can do that here... If they can force St. Mary's into shooting a lot of outside shots, which is not their strength, they did it well, at least in the last five minutes of the last time these two teams played, which was part of the reason they secured that victory. Kyle Bowen missed his first seven three-point attempts, then hit two huge threes down the stretch to keep Gonzaga at bay. If they can make them shoot a lot of outside shots and they can get a lot of offensive rebounds, I think we're looking at another opportunity for the Zags to secure another quad one victory to beat St. Mary's, to take the season series from them. Uh, It's not going to impact St. Mary's all that much. They're still going to be. Right now, a lot of places have them on the five line. A loss to Gonzaga probably doesn't impact that all that much. They're still probably a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament. Hopefully, Gonzaga can take care of business here. I can promise you that there's a lot of film being watched, a lot of opportunities for this team to improve. I expect Chad Holmgren is not going to let himself have that kind of struggle Yet again, Andrew Nempard had a phenomenal game tonight against San Francisco. I think he's going to come out and play with a much clearer head. He's not going to let himself get as flustered by St. Mary's guards. He's not going to make as many careless mistakes as he did. But what I'll be curious about is if St. Mary's is going to put a lot of pressure on Gonzaga. Obviously, the recipe that Baylor showed, that Duke showed, that Alabama showed— and that San Francisco showed in this late in the second half here was put pressure on Gonzaga's guards early. 
Do it on the other side of half court. Do it right when they cross half court. This is not really St. Mary's game. They're not a full court press team. They're, I don't think they're going to do that. I would be shocked if Randy Bennett alters his defensive game plan because of something like that. So Gonzaga doesn't have to deal with the kinds of pressures that they have seen from these other teams that have caused them to lose games. Of course, St. Mary's has proven that that's not the only way to beat Gonzaga because they did it a couple weeks ago. So we're going to see a lot of the same stuff from them. What will be interesting is to see how Gonzaga adjusts, what kind of changes they make, and how the two big men in particular, Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren, how they respond the second time they play this team in the last couple of weeks. Because if they struggle again, if both of them struggle, this could be a really, really tough night for the Zags. But if they don't, even if just one of them brings it, brings their A game, I think Gonzaga walks away with some hardware and the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Looking forward, of course, to tonight's game, and we'll have a recap coming on Wednesday, then a little bit of a break while we wait for the rest of the college basketball landscape to catch up to us as we wait for Selection Sunday next week. All of that right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, I want to thank you all for making Locked On Zags your first listen every day. Now's a great time to make your second listen, the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker bring the NFL draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all for listening and go Zags.